I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. How many times have you witnessed someone get close to achieving a goal only to see it all suddenly fall apart? Or he or she does reach the top of the mountain but can't hold on? Maybe you too have struggled with near misses and not quite realized dreams, yet are unable to pinpoint why. Self-sabotage can be a devastating cycle. I believe deeply in what Paulo Coelho so famously wrote in his seminal book, The Alchemist. When you want something, all the universe conspires in helping you to achieve it. Time and again, I've seen how the universe rises up to meet the vision that lives inside us. But just as often, I've seen dreams crushed. The variable between winning the race and faltering at the finish line lies with one of the guiding forces in my life. Intention. Before you embark on any quest, you must first articulate your vision. Set your course. It doesn't have to be a public or formal declaration, but it does need to be clear, particularly in today's climate where there is a palpable craving for meaning and authenticity. People can feel what's real and what's not. So if you want support for your idea, stand in what you hold sacred. Those who sense your truth will rise up. And most important, you must believe with your whole heart that you are capable of achieving your goal. If not, your path becomes murky and the goal stays out of reach. For me, the journey to open the Oprah Winfrey Leadership Academy for Girls was one of the most challenging and ultimately rewarding I've ever experienced. This was something I felt I'd been growing toward my entire life. I recognized myself in the face of each and every girl yearning to overcome the trauma of poverty and all that it encompassed. These strong, talented future leaders could see their way forward, but needed an environment in which to thrive. That's why, despite confronting formidable obstacles along the way, breaking ground on the 52-acre campus just outside Johannesburg, South Africa, was an important full circle for me. It's taken an enormous emotional and financial investment, but ever since the year 2002, when I shared with Nelson Mandela my hope of creating access to education for those who demonstrated promise and potential, my commitment to the school has never wavered. So you can imagine my surprise when I was asked during an interview about critics who said the school would not last. They said that, I asked the reporter? Yes, in the beginning, she replied. My response to her was this, people have no idea of my tenacity. Once I commit to something and I have a full-hearted desire to see it work, I can't imagine what it would take to make me quit. I held a vision for what the school could be, a place to build leaders and inspire greatness. I handpicked every sock, every shoe, every door, every book to honor the girls who would attend. The purity of that intention was aligned from my heart to my head. I had no other ulterior motive. This was about bringing the power of choice to the first generation of apartheid-free women in South Africa. That doesn't mean I didn't ask myself if it was worth it during some of the most difficult times. I certainly did wonder, 
But the answer that always came back was, yes, this is 1,000% worth it. I was convinced we could raise these girls to know for themselves what I've told them over and over again. You are not your circumstances. You are your possibilities. In this chapter, it's my hope that you will gain a greater understanding of how discovering your purpose begins with committing to your course. Whether you want to fulfill a long-held dream, find greater success in the career you've chosen, give more of yourself to others, or repair a broken relationship, you must first ask, why? What is the real intention? And then ask, how will I execute the action? The 10th anniversary of the Oprah Winfrey Leadership Academy for Girls was in 2017. To date, nearly 400 graduates have gone on to attend universities around the world. I set out to create a dream school where the brightest yet most vulnerable could find their voices and know for themselves that there is no bar. Their only limits are the ones they set. From day one, I told them, don't just break the ceiling, reach for what's beyond. As for the interview with the reporter who asked about naysayers, I went on to tell her, don't bet against me. You cannot defeat someone who knows who they truly are. I know who I am and why I'm doing this, so I would not bet against me. The moment you know with certainty that your intention is fully aligned with what you believe, all bets are off. You've already won. I want everyone to know that everyone is entitled to miracles, that everyone is. That miracles occur naturally, as A Course in Miracles says. Miracles occur naturally, and when they're not occurring, something has gone wrong. We have the capacity to lose the weight. We have the capacity to earn the money. We have the capacity to live a far greater life than we perceive we do. But we have to make that decision. We have to exercise that free will and make that conscious choice to see differently. How do you get miracles to show up? Well, we have to begin to release all that's blocking the presence of those miracles. So we build up a wall against those miracles. And so we need to start to take down that wall one loving thought at a time, one Super Soul Sunday episode at a time, one book at a time, one prayer at a time, yeah. one yoga class at a time. Whatever our practice is, is what takes down that wall and helps us remember. I can't emphasize enough or agree with you more that when your heart is open and willing, things just start to show up. Isn't it amazing? One book shows up, then another book shows up, then something else shows up, and then somebody says, let's go to a yoga class, and somebody says, it You're just does. You're given what you need. Everything you need, you'll be given. That's the other thing, is that it's okay. Like, that's the other message I think we all need to receive, is that everything will be okay if you choose for it to be, if you choose to see things differently. Your job and my job while we are in the Earth School is to align our personalities with our souls. And we do that by becoming the personality that has the same intentions of the soul, harmony and cooperation and sharing and reverence for life. Suppose, for example, you're a mother and you've got three children and you're on overwhelm a lot. Right. And one of the children in particular is a bit demanding. Mm -hmm. Now. You have a husband, and he's been working away all day, away from home. He may or may not be sympathetic or even appreciative of how much work it is to be at home with three children and to prepare for him coming home. 
So you can find yourself overwhelmed. You can find yourself frustrated or exasperated by the child that's most demanding. You can find yourself angry at your husband. What do you do? This is exactly the time that you have the opportunity to create authentic power. And here's how you do it. First of all, instead of acting, whatever the impulse is to tell the child, Tommy, be quiet, be quiet, or you're going to go to your room for mm -hmm. six months, mm -hmm. or telling your husband, whatever you tell him, mm -hmm. instead, go inside. Go inside. Go inside. That's the first step. That is developing emotional awareness. The second step, and once you can do this, you put yourself in a very powerful position because just by turning inward instead of acting in the moment, you have created a little gap mm -hmm. between the impulse and the action. Mm -hmm. And into that space, you can inject consciousness. Into that space, you can do something you couldn't have done before. Choose mm -hmm. consciously. Yeah. You can decide, I am going to say this to my husband. He's insensitive and I'm sick and tired of him being sensitive. Or, or I'm not. Or I'm going instead to act from the most loving part of my personality that I can reach for in that moment. I hear. And it may be that the most loving part of your personality you can reach for is just not to say anything. Mm. But you have then changed your universe. Yes. It's your choice. And you make the choice every time you choose an intention. When you choose an intention of love instead of an intention of fear. And that is the spiritual journey. That is the spiritual journey. That is the spiritual path. Can you read the Parenting Manifesto? I can. Yes. I don't know if I can read it without crying because yeah, well. I'm away from my kids, <laughs> but okay. And this is every home has to have its own manifesto. Yeah. If you don't, then your home is operating under confusion and chaos and whatever. And maybe you have a manifesto that hasn't been spoken, but I love this for people to sort of incorporate as their own and adjust as they will, but. Above all else, I want you to know that you are loved and lovable. You're saying this to your children? Yes. Okay. You will learn this from my words and my actions. The lessons on love are in how I treat you and how I treat myself. I want you to engage with the world from a place of worthiness. You will learn that you are worthy of love, belonging, and joy every time you see me practice self-compassion and embrace yes. my own imperfections. Yes. We will practice courage in our family by showing up, letting ourselves be seen, and honoring vulnerability. We'll share our stories of struggle and strength. There will always be room in our home for both. We will teach you compassion by practicing compassion with ourselves first, then with each other. I want you to know joy, so together we'll practice gratitude. I want you to feel joy, so together we'll learn how to be vulnerable. Together we'll cry and face fear and grief. I will want to take away your pain, but instead I will sit with you and teach you how to feel it. Oh, I'm going to cry right now. We all want a mother like that Me and a dad. Wow. Steve, hello. <laughs> we will laugh and sing and dance and create. We will always have permission to be ourselves with each other. No matter what, you will always belong here. Mm. Okay. As you begin your wholehearted journey, the greatest gift that I can give to you is to live in love with my whole heart and to dare greatly. I will not teach or love or show you anything perfectly, but I will let you see me and I will always hold sacred the gift of seeing you, truly deeply seeing you. 
I just wish everybody could live by those words, really. Me we too. Would, that's how you change the world. I believe it. Spike Jones, the, the great director and pretty good actor too, he came by, he just said, do you need any help starting your show? And I'm like, I, I'm sure, let's talk. So he just came by and he interviewed me six months before my show went on the air about what I wanted the show to be. And after we've been on the air for a while, and he actually sent it to me this past year, he sent those notes back to me to say, I want to remind you what your intention was. And one of the things he said that he sort of circled or pointed out in it was, I don't know how to do a nightly comedy show that's also about love, but I'd like it in some way to be about love. And there's so many different ways to express that, I suppose. And that's always- That's what you had said. That's what I said to him in the interview, which he yeah. showed back to me as a reminder. And when I look at the show that we're doing right now, I hope that... I think it's interesting that you set an intention for yes. it. Yeah. Yes. I live yes. through that. I live yeah. that. I live Just, that. Yeah, yeah. And then, then you start and you don't know how to find it and that, that gives you all kinds of... But tears. wasn't that helpful? Not knowing the way helped you find the way. Right, because anything is possible and it was ridiculous for me to think it wasn't going to be agonizing to do in public, which yeah. it was. Yeah. Because you, you want to know what you're doing. You know, I'm an improviser by heart. That's how I started in comedy. But still, you want everything you do to be successful. Right. But you can't be. And it's always going to be painful to make a transition or a change like that. But you know, the thing... So, the, but the, anyway, the hope okay. for love. Yeah. The hope for love. And I think now we found is that I love my country. I love science. I love facts. I love people regardless of their race or their, or their gender identity. And the challenge now is to love the people who don't seem to have that value in their heart, or at least how it's expressed. How then, David, do you define character? What is this thing that we are missing? Well, sadly, it's become an old-fashioned sort of word. But to me, there's a central piece of us that makes decisions. And every time you make a decision or have an experience, you turn that core piece of yourself into something slightly more elevated or something more degraded. And if you make disciplined choices, you slowly engrave a certain set of habits and dispositions inside that core piece. And if you make fragmented decisions, you make that core piece a little degraded. And when I look at people with character, what they have is consistency over time. Mm. The things that make us, lead us astray are short-term, like lust or greed or hunger. But the things that are character are long-term, like honesty and courage. And so those people are just able to be consistent and can be counted on over time because they have something solid engraved. What is it, do you think, that it's about power that changes people? And how have you managed the power you've held? Well, I haven't held that much power. The reason I'm viewed as having had power is there's no power in the vice presidency. It's all reflective. It comes from the president. But I think the reason people abuse power is that they, in fact, are seduced by the notion that they are so self-important that they really matter when in fact it is not usually the case. The leaders I've observed who are the best are the ones who have courage to take a chance, be willing to lose on principle, and two, are self-aware. They understand their strengths and they understand their weaknesses. They play to their strengths and they try to shore up their weaknesses. And the people who don't do that are the people who aren't self-aware enough to know because most of the time that abuse ends up in their downfall as well.
As I was being driven into work this morning, I was looking at everybody and, you know, trying to bless them. I thought, I'm going to try blessing everybody that I see today. I always say, blast them with love before you get there. I always talk about how before you go into the meeting, just blast everybody with love. Before you go into, you mean you know, in your mind? In yes, your in your mind, yeah. right. So if you're going to an audition, if you're going to an interview for a job, you know, the blast world, them with love. Right, because if you have the thought, oh my God, I need this job and I, I, I really need it and I hope they'll like me, all of that actually limits your capacity the to The energy shine of desperation shows. In the ways that actually might promote their wanting you to work for their company. So if you instead say, the only thing going on here is I'm going to bless that person. They're here to bless me. I don't know if I'm supposed to get that job. My only agenda is that God's will be done, which is the downloading of the file. That all and the file is perfectly. called God's will be done. Right. When you talk to colleges or speak to kids who are looking for what to do with their lives now, what's your best advice? It's really about following your intrinsic motivation. Doing mm -hmm. it is sort of figuring out your purpose. What, what are you here to do? What are you uniquely good at? And then I would actually add to that the importance of doing it persistently, being dogged. I think there are massive returns to, to doggedness. Do you believe that paradox of prosperity is the reason why we're now seemingly seeking meaning more than ever? I think that's part of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, what you have is you have us, all this abundance has liberated us, but not fulfilled us. And so you have people liberated by prosperity, but not fulfilled by it. So they're using their extra time and energy and treasure to lift that level of satisfaction. And so the prosperity has, in some ways, liberated this thing that's, I think, fundamental about being a human being, which is figuring out, what am, am I, I here, here? for? Right. Am I here? What's it all about? How am okay. I connected to everything else? When you look at the sheer volume, your success is really kind of staggering. It's kind of awesome because you've written all these songs over the years that are the themes for our lives. It's more than just the soundtracks. They're themes for where we were in our lives. And I'm just curious as to what you tap into to bring that kind of art that resonates with the world into a form that's called songwriting. I've always believed in my heart that the best songs, the ones that resonate in my soul and therefore go out into the world and resonate in other people's don't come from us, they come through us. And I always say a little prayer before I go into my music room. And it's a sort of a prayer of intention. Please let me bring forth something, help me, that will help heal. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was certainly later in my songwriting, I tried very much for my songs to have some ability to touch others and help them be in a better place than before they heard the song. Mm -hmm. But I do try to write in the most simple way feelings and whatever I'm writing about that touch the heart. During this whole process of writing, did you change the way you were able to express suffering? Because I had read that at one point that you thought that that was... Like, don't tell that story. Yeah, don't tell that story. Yes, absolutely. Don't let anybody know. Yeah. And now you feel completely different. Yeah. That in the sharing of the story. Yeah. 
Well, I would say that one of the most important lessons I learned through the success of Wild is that it was such an affirmation that if you take that risk, if you take that chance, if you tell that the truest, hardest, deepest story you have within you, you're not going to step into the light and find that you're there alone, that you're going to be surrounded by people who are there with you. And say, me and too. Saying, me too. Me too. And when you take that, essentially you're risking vulnerability, you're yes. risking showing. Yeah your truest nature. Yes. And you know, here I was writing about the death of my mother. As you know, my mom died of cancer when she was 45. It was the greatest loss of my life. And it was that story that I had to tell over and over again. I've told it in all of my books. And there was a point where I felt like, okay, Cheryl, you need to shut up about this. Mm -hmm. A lot of people die of cancer. Mm -hmm. quit, quit complaining about it. Quit moaning about it. Mm -hmm. But I had something really true to tell about that loss. And also what came after that loss, that me finding my way back to life through remembering the love that my mother gave me. And I ended up, when I did take that chance of telling that very mm -hmm. specific story, speaking with the universal voice, that's what I found. Because I wasn't just talking about myself, I was talking about all oh. of the people. Potential is always bigger than the problem. Your potential is infinite and is always bigger than whatever problem you're going through. So when you begin to have a vision. Oh, this is good. I'm going to shout in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. good. This is really good. <laughs> Amen. Good. <laughs> you begin to have a vision about the possibility. Mm -hmm. You start to be pulled by it. And then once you really sincerely embrace it yeah. and your life begins to be, okay, when I wake up this morning, I'm going to walk in the direction of my purpose. I'm going to walk in the direction of my vision. I'm going to walk in the direction of that possibility and the potential yes. instead of allowing myself to go, oh, woe is me, or I can't believe. Or that. Right. I'm going to walk in the... Right. This is a good, this is a good talk. Then you're not pushed. You, you not can preach it. You can preach this. <laughs> this will preach. Oprah told me to preach this. <laughs> you, you should preach this. So you walk in the direction of the potential and the possibility instead of being stuck here. Then you're the, not as pushed as much. The yeah. cosmic two by four doesn't need to hit you as much. Wow. You're pulled. You're being pulled more by joy and it's like, I'm being pulled by some, something. Now it doesn't mean you're not going to have challenges. Of course. Of we don't, we don't, we're not praying to live a challenge-free life. We're praying that the challenges that come activate latent potential. So this is how you learn to manifest, which is the stage two, is yeah. by understanding that principle of the push and the pull. Understanding that pain pushes until vision pulls. Ask what-if questions. Yes. Begin to see, visualize the kind of life you want to live. Mm -hmm. Begin to talk about it. Begin to write it down. Begin to dream about it. And then what I teach is... You talk about it. Doesn't mean you talk to everybody because everyone is not trustworthy. That's right. You talk to selected friends. About it. About it. You talk to it. Uh -huh. You actually talk to the vision. Talk to the possibility. Talk to love. You talk to peace. You talk to prosperity. I see you everywhere. I see you prosperity in the lawn. I see you abundance in the grain of the sand. I see you everywhere. Mm -hmm. You talk to it. And then after a while, you're talking from it. When Devon and I reconnected on Jumping the Broom, I remember thinking like, wow, that's the kind of guy I wish I could marry. He's so amazing. And I was looking at her like, that's Megan Good. She is talent, like superstar, yeah. like not even yeah. out that's of my good. league, yeah. not a chance. 
And I was thinking that he was out of my league just because of how amazing he was. Really? And I was like, Lord, what am I supposed to be doing? And I just felt God telling me, like, it's time for you to get out of this relationship. It's time for you to focus on me. And so I did that. I started to focus on God. And, and in that time, as how I prayed How does God more say more, that? Does he say, Megan, you must get <laughs> no, out of the relationship? Well, you know yeah. what's weird? How does it come to you? When, yes. he, when he told me that Devon was my husband, it sounded like that. It really? sounded like... Devon's your husband. Where was, was that? How? What was going on? I was just praying. I was just on my knees praying. and I Were you praying a, for a husband? No. I was praying for help. I was praying for growth. I was praying for healing. I was praying for maturity. I just felt him saying, just focus on you. So I spent the next nine months just focusing on me and really finding myself mm -hmm. because even at that time, I still hadn't decided to be celibate right away. I was still making mistakes, like not in terms of sex being a mistake, but I was making mistakes in terms of putting myself in a bad position where I wasn't happy with the results that mm -hmm. I was getting in my life. In relationships? In relationships, just emotionally, which in the relationship part of it, bled over into every single other area of my life. Absolutely. So. It wasn't until a few months down the line where I decided to become celibate. I started telling friends and family that he was my husband. Everyone's like, and you sound crazy. No, we had not started dating. <laughs> we I had didn't not know started any dating. Of this you didn't all. know any of it. None of it. So you manifested this. Yeah. 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 But everything was like confirmation. You called it. It in. was hearing she it. Sure did. So then I started speaking it. So then I started shamelessly telling it. And then eventually people started coming up to me and saying stuff. So when I was in the second grade, and we were told, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you said secretary. I said secretary. Because to me, from what I learned in culture, that's what women did. Women assisted men in their dreams. And then I went home with a note to my father from my teacher, and I thought it was going to praise me. And instead, it was basically like, I think this is something you should be paying more attention to. And that just triggered my father on so many levels, his own insecurities about yes. me. It triggered your father because now your father recognizes that not only do I see it, mm -hmm. I see the femininity in my son, mm -hmm. but now his own teacher is now sending yep. me a note home saying, take note of this. So what happened? And so everyone basically gets on board that what we need to all do is to fix this. How do we get this out of this child? And so my father started lecturing me. It was my first lecture from my father about the way I should act in the world, the way that I should be. Boys do this and yep, girls, girls do this. Do that. And, and boys are not secretaries. No, boys are not secretaries. Boys are football players. They're Dallas Cowboys. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. Mm -hmm. So then did you try to conform for them? I started compromising. When they weren't around, I would express myself. When they were around, I would sit quietly and just do my homework. But this is what's amazing to me, and I think to anybody who reads Redefining Realness, is that at 15 years old, you made a decision after meeting your friend Wendy that you were going to go to school as a girl. Mm -hmm. That you basically transitioned mm -hmm. in your own heart and that you had the courage to step out and do that at 15 years old. Yeah. You went into school your freshman year as Charles, and by your sophomore year, you were now Janet. Full-time. Full-time. I come back after ninth grade, and I was like, I'm not going to present in a way that makes anyone else comfortable. I'm going to present in a way that makes me comfortable. And so I had just been elected class treasurer, and so I stand on that stage the first day of school, our sophomore class, and I say, hello, everyone. I'm Janet. And did everyone just accept it? 
I wouldn't say accepted it. I think a lot of people tolerated it. I think that's pretty amazing. I marvel at it now. At that time, it seemed like the only possibility, the only pathway. All I had growing up, I grew up poor. I grew up as a black child in communities that were already suffering. And so the only resource I had was my truth, was myself. That's the one thing I could control in the world is to present and be who I knew I was. And I knew that living authentically and being myself would be the first step towards any kind of success. At 11 years old, I made a very definitive decision. And my decision was that I wanted to be happy. Above and beyond anything I ever did in my life, that I wanted to be happy. But I remember these grown-ups coming to me and saying, do you want to be a movie star when you grow up? Do you want to be a dancer? Do you want to be a professional dancer when you grow up? What do you want to be? And I would say, happy. And they would look at me really weird. No, we said, what do you want to be? And I said, I want to be happy. That's really all I wanted. Talk about an intention. That's a better intention than a white picket fence. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening.